You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to On the Bench. I got Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone here with me. I am Josh Newberg. Uh, we are Zach Blostein list today, but with our powers combined, we are the fellas at Knowles 24-7. We are back on the bench after FSU extends their three-game win streak with a blowout win over UMass, 59-3. Um, FSU has a big conference matchup this weekend against Clemson, and we are here to talk about all of it. Um, Brendan, how you doing, bud? You mentioned we're of Knowles 24-7. I don't – I mean, there's no Knowles 24-7 to go to right now. We just might be on the bench for the time being until we How get about clarity. That? So, yeah, so people uh, – hopefully, if you're if you're watching this stream yard, if you're watching this live right now, or currently the site is down. It's been down. Not just Knowles 24-7, all 24-7 for the last three hours or so. Uh, no TBD on when it will be back. It will be back. Um, and if you're listening to the podcast later on the day, hopefully it's already back. But just to clarify, because I know we've been getting questions on that. Other than that, I'm great, Joshua. Thank you for asking. Chris, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's what's at play. Here. I'm here, Josh. I'm just here. I'm not really feeling much. Just kind of irritated on a Monday morning. Chris's favorite part of a Monday, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, is updating the live press conference thread. He may say he no. doesn't like it, but he is so good at it. He is a machine. It gives him comfort deep down inside, and that is no longer likely. It's in play. been taken from him. Yes. That's what I know. I'm a little bit more concerned about the fact that I expect that eight, at least one hoops commitment today around noon. So I'd love a TBD at some point. That would be phenomenal. No TBD. You get none of that. Yeah, Josh, are you crazy. drinking canned soda with a, a straw? No. Did that happen? Not, Did you get caught? Not a Did child. you get busted? Is it a the site is down. Um, we're just floating out here in the ether. Maybe we're just going to be a floating podcast from now on. But anyway, let's get to it. You guys uh, were able to rewatch. We're not going to we're not going to go too far into the rewatch. But yes, um, I want to start with you, Brendan. Um, we saw Florida State wide receivers. We saw offensive linemen. We saw linebackers. We saw players winning one on ones against mm. UMass. Mm. Is that a sign? And, and what does it tell us? So we probably mentioned on the instant that it was UMass as a caveat, like six or seven times Chris and myself combined. So, so that is still the caveat. Like I don't want to make too much out of what we saw uh, schematically winning stuff one-on-one, but I think the takeaway that I got from the game rewatching it, uh, three, three things. And I'll go through them real quick. If we want to expound on them uh, or add to that, we can, but one is uh, FSU won its one-on-ones. Uh, it's something they didn't do a whole lot uh, against Jacksonville State on offense, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago. So that was something that I took away uh, is that you, hey, we actually won a one-on-one matchups, whether it was a running back breaking a tackle in the hole, whether it was a wide receiver getting separation uh, when he was one-on-one and the quarterback completing the ball. That was all something like that's something to take away. And like if you start getting superior or or talent that's better than than the teams you're going up against down the road. The scheme works. So that's something that that I took away. Uh, number two was this uh, growing sense of belief and confidence that we've, we've talked about. We've documented and chronicled it here on On the Bench and on Knowles 24-7 that FSU does is playing hard, is getting better in various aspects. So that just continued to grow in itself. The chemistry, the way the guys responded to each other and celebrated uh, when things went well, the way they reacted and responded when things went poorly. Uh, that was that was at play, and I guess this kind of folds into it as well, that that belief is there. Uh, there's a confidence, too. There's a little bit of a swagger, a little bit of an aura, and again, that, that happens when you play a team that, that's pretty crappy, but this is three weeks in a row, really three and a half games in a row, if you count the second half of Louisville, where there's been that signs of, of increased confidence and, and belief in, in not just each other, but the whole progress, the whole system, the whole uh, – the whole program that Mike Ravel's putting together. That, that's something that I think is worth looking at. And that gives myself, I, I think a lot of fans confidence for, for the final five game stretch here coming forward. Yeah, definitely. And um, it proves that, you know, like you said, the offense does work when there's a talent edge. So how does Florida state get that talent? Edge? We'll talk about later on. <laughs> that, 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 that is still at play. And that's why these next few games, I think are going to be really, really big. We'll get into recruiting, but like the, 
there's something to be said for momentum and for selling your message and FSU's positioned itself after a horrible start positioned itself to still kind of hit some of its goals, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Chris, you've always kind of pounded the table that this is a running football team. Um, when mm-hmm. they're doing what they want to do, this is a team that can run the football. Well, even before the three game win streak, um, FSU was able to do that. And now they've slowly become one of the best running teams in the country. How, how did that happen? Well, I think the offense has evolved to solely fit around Jordan Travis. That's Jordan Travis being healthy and Jordan Travis clearly being their number one quarterback. And I think we've seen a great deal of that in the sense of the play calling, the way they're setting things up, the way they're operating, the way they're doing things. The other thing is downfield blocking, for example. I think it was Toe Philly's big run. Treshawn Ward has a great block down the field. That's a great example of that. Perimeter blocking as a whole was better in this game, obviously, against a lesser opponent. But I, I think they've bought in fully to that. I also think the O-line, that, that's their strength. That's what they play to. You know, a healthy Dylan Gibbons or at least an available Dylan Gibbons has been very good for the run game. But in general, that group as a whole, especially since the return of Mo Smith, Marie Smith, I feel like they've really taken a next step as a run blocking offensive line. So I, I think a lot of it's played into that. And again, it's success breeds confidence. Confidence breeds more success. It, it goes hand in hand. We've seen that for sure with the offense. An example of that I saw with the defense rewatching the game was DJ Lundy, Lundy triggering and getting downhill. And he did it better in this game than I've ever seen him do it at FSU. And that that's a good thing because that's DJ's strength is playing straight ahead of his face. Uh, to, to Chris's point on the run game, it, and it has gotten markedly better in the last month or so. And there's multiple reasons why. Chris mentioned the offensive line getting healthy. I don't think we can understate that. But like that, that's big. Getting Murray Smith to get the checks in there and you allow Babyon Johnson to go to guard if needed and he's performed well. That's been big. Uh, Robert Scott being fairly healthy also uh, helps out as well. Jordan Travis being near 100% or at least healthier and having confidence. Chris mentioned confidence. That's a big part of this too. And obviously what he does schematically, like you watched against UMass, they they accounted for him on all those. They had like a double tight end set where they'd run this long sweeping read option concept out of it. UMass would always, almost always keep a an edge defender, overhang defender back to, to count for Jordan Travis. That creates a numbers advantage as you're pulling guards or linemen or, or tight ends. Uh, to, to win one-on-ones inside. And, that, and that's what we saw consistently. FSU had a numbers edge in the run game. That's what they've been doing for a couple weeks now is, is playing to the numbers edge that Jordan Travis allows you to do. He peppers that in with a decent uh, functionality passing the ball. That's big. I say all this, guys, in the month of October, three games now that that counts for. One of those is against UMass, granted, but you know, Syracuse, good run defense, UNC, eh. FSU leads the country in yards per carry this month. During this three-game stretch, no one is running the ball more effectively, more efficiently than Florida State. They're averaging 6.91 yards per carry. Uh, that That's a, a hundredth of a fraction from being nice, 6.9. They're second nationally in yards before contact, uh, which means the offensive line is doing what it's supposed to do and giving them space to, to operate with. Here's the thing. They're not running the ball a ton more than they did uh, during their, their four-game losing streak. I think it's only like a four-carry-per-game four difference. They're just running it more effectively. And, I mean, that's that's really why we're seeing FSU win games right now. That's a huge reason why, is you're running the ball effectively, perhaps better than anyone in the country right now. We'll see if that can continue. It's a tough stretch coming up with Clemson, and we'll get into that. But the run game has been really good. Jay Sean Corbin, Trey Sean Ward. It's good to see Lawrence Toffilly, DJ Williams get involved as well, and obviously Jordan Travis. Uh, there's five guys who – who can give you productive carries and offensive line doing what it's doing. Um, that gives you something to work with here down the stretch. There's things in practice translating to games better too. DJ Williams touchdown run practice, the staircase run by Trayshawn Ward to the left. That's something they've done consistently in practice dating back to the preseason. Uh, just things like that. When you're, you, when you're seeing that, that's a positive sign. And it really is irregardless of opponent. It's a matter of seeing the idea of 11 guys playing as one, and that's something they weren't very good at early in the year, and they're definitely improving week by week at being better at. And that was noticeable in the Syracuse game, and especially in the UNC game. And it should be noticeable in UMass because UMass is basically an exhibition. Ooh, breaking news real quick, guys. The site is back for now. Just Sticking on the theme of uh, seeing things in practice that have been improving – um, I know, Brandon, you've gotten on the podcast multiple times in the past couple of weeks and said that Chubba Purdy has been coming along pretty well. Um, obviously, 
with the UMass preface involved, um, what we saw from Chubba Purdy in this game, did it kind of reflect what you've been seeing in practice? Is that going to be the headline for the podcast, Josh? The UMass preface? Uh, that should be part of it. Uh, yes. I mean, l- listen, with Chubba, well, yes and no. I mean, Chubba Purdy was as precise and consistent throwing the ball as we've seen yeah, at any point this season. Um, and I'm talking about, obviously, in practice, because this is his first action of <laughs> of the season uh he was five of five he was perfect i won't make my joke again um but it was great perfect in fact <laughs> uh no listen shubba birdie has been getting better there was a span in the preseason again uh, shubba was rusty he hadn't gotten a whole lot of work in the spring hadn't been around the team all summer uh where he just looked atrocious uh he really struggled to even just complete the ball he was turning the ball over probably three or four times in a practice I think at that point, Chris and I were looking at each other, going like, is this team? And, and that was with, when Jordan and McKenzie weren't uh, full go at that point, too. And saying all of a sudden, like, is this team going to be able to win three or four games? And um, you know, Jordan came back and, and practiced well. But but Chubba has gotten in- incrementally better as the season has progressed in practice. It's been really cool to see. That doesn't mean he's perfect. Uh, there, there was a an instance last week where he had like a couple of really nice throws where he just kind of uncorks the ball and gets it down the middle of the field. Like no one else on the roster, I feel like can, um, but then he'll over, over put uh, overshoot a, a wide receiver downfield or just not be accurate. And I remember Chris looking at me like, that's a Chubba Purdy experience at this point on Saturday against UMass. He was calm. Uh, now granted it was against UMass and UMass's reserves, uh, the UMass uh, preface there, but he was sharp. He was super consistent. And that's what I think you want to see what this coaching staff wants to see. Cause it's still in the process of like, Hey, is he the future? Is AJ Duffy the future? Uh, who's the guy after Jordan Travis is done here uh, to take over. And you saw signs of that. And that was good to see that spill over from practice to the games and actually be better in the game than it had happened in practice. He was, he was consistent. He played within the offense. He hit the shots that were designed for him. FSU staff did a really nice job. It was really encouraging. It was really cool to see. Yeah, Purdy's biggest issue in practice usually is missing long or missing mm-hmm. behind on the short and intermediate stuff. And then with the longer stuff, it's ending up short. But he's improved in that regard, especially in recent weeks in the sense of hitting more consistently with vertical throws. That was something he struggled with for whatever reason early in practices, even preseason and into the season. I, I was pleased with what we saw of him Saturday. I think the the intention with him is to take it slow. I don't think this is a matter of trying to ramp him up and take somebody's job right now, right here. I think this is a matter of trying to get that young man some good game experience, build confidence, basically go about the process entirely different than it was a year ago where he got forced into the fire and at times a little bit swallowed up by it. And One thing I'll, I'll add before we move on to the next topic there, Josh, is that, uh, yeah, yeah, he looked great. And I think there's a lot of people are going to say, oh, he was five of five. He was perfect. And, and he was, he hit the shots that were available to him. Again, just remember UMass reserves, uh, I don't think the RPO and some of the complexities of the offense that you have for Jordan Travis were on full display with Chubba. looks like a lot of that stuff was pre-designed. And again, he went through some of mm-hmm. his progressions, delivered the ball where he needs to. That's all part of the growing process. But to Chris's point, you are building something slowly or setting the foundation, which is great. That's what you want to do for a young quarterback. Just keep that in mind. Like times you see Jordan Travis struggle this year with the harder part of the schedule coming up. I don't think it's going to be a, a quick, you know, a hook pull to, to get in Chubba Purdy based on him completing all five passes against UMass. So I'll ask you guys both again. Do we see Mackenzie Milton take meaningful snaps for this team this season? I would say yes. I think more likely than not. Uh, Again, I think that he becomes the guy if Jordan Travis is lost in the context of a game. I think if you have a full week to prepare, you have something with Chubba Purdy and maybe Mackenzie Milton or maybe fully Chubba Purdy. Like if you have to, if if it's a break in case of emergency type of deal, uh, but based on the way Jordan plays, like I think there'll be a scenario where he has to, to sit out for a series or something and catch his breath or you get checked out. It seems, based on history, likely to happen. Uh, and in that case, I think you would see McKenzie Milton come in for a series. I'm not entirely convinced of it, to Ooh, be perfectly yeah, honest. Me neither. That's Ooh. why I keep asking you guys. <laughs> I mean, I, we, we spoke about this in the post game that we did on Saturday. Uh, I think if it's a crunch time situation – you know, hot and heavy, one touchdown, two touchdown game on the road, high caliber opponent. I think you lean Milton. But I also think we all know what the future is. 
it's not Milton. Milton's future is more likely to be a GA here than a real contributor as a quarterback here. Purdy is a guy that I think they have hopes for can be a contributor here. So I think there's a balancing act with that, but it's also, I don't, as I said last time I spoke on Purdy here, don't think they want to throw him in that fire again. I I think the preference is not to do that. Yeah. I I think that's the preference, obviously. Um, As far as Mackenzie Milton goes, I believe he still has a year of eligibility remaining. He does Um, technically. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to to take it. Do you? Yeah. I think he's, um, I think he's interested in it as it stands right now. I don't think the plans to become a GA, I mean, there's, like that's inevitable, right? Like he's like he his career is going to end at the college level, and then he's going to get into coaching. But from what I'm told from a good source, at Ooh. least as it stands now, McKenzie is currently thinking about playing that final year. Whether it's at FSU, maybe it's somewhere else. I don't know, but I think at this point he's considering it, hmm. based on some conversations I've had. Um, and then when it comes to the GA stuff, like I don't. I mean, I think there's obviously a, a good chance he could end up being a GA for FSU, but you got to also think about all the other coaches that he has great relationships with. Like, yeah. I don't know the dynamics of who was there when he was running it under Scott Frost and who the OC was and who the QB coach and where they are now and how there's, their relationships are. Like, he could end up – there's so many uh, current programs that look up to Mackenzie Milton for his leadership and understand what he brings to a program – I just don't know if it's like a given that he's going to roll into a GA at FSU. They also have to have a GA spot open for him to yeah. get a spot. So that's part I, of it. Maybe he does end up at FSU, maybe, but I don't think it's just like this given that it's just going to roll over like that. He, and I don't know if it's going to be this year. Definitely not. Well, that, that's interesting. I know going into the year, the plan was just this one year, but he was also still having aspirations of, hey, this is a good year. See what happens with the NFL. I'll I don't tell think you guys that's on the. I'll tell you guys off air what I exactly what I was what I picked up. All right, you can just tell all all everyone watching here. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Real real quick, Mackenzie Milton has said before he is on record as saying that he does like the idea of tying himself to Mike Norvell, Um, and that's one of the reasons why he came to Florida State was to learn under Mike Norvell. So that's a potential, like that is a possibility. Like you said, Josh, a foregone conclusion. He definitely not going to go to Tennessee with Josh Heupel. I'm fairly confident. No, no, I don't think so. That's why I brought up Scott Frost. Yeah, that would Um, that would not be an option. I don't think. So, well, let's switch to the defensive side of the ball. Um, We saw the defensive backfield finally get it together. Um, Is this something that you guys have been seeing in practice, or was this more of the UMass effect? (laughs) We've seen uh, Mike Norvell and company be stuck on the secondary, criticizing them when needed, like white on rice. That's what yes. we've seen the last few weeks. I think it is translating. I think the biggest thing for the secondary is that they've created turnovers. You know, I, I think that, again, success breeds confidence. That breeds more success. It's one of those things. And when, you know, Jones gets a pick at UNC in the end zone, that's a real big positive. When Brownlee drops it, he responds, and then he goes and gets it and houses it. That's big. Those kind of moments, I think, are translating. Jamie Robinson's played very well since kind of settling into that permanent safety spot. And defense as a whole has played much better since he's done that. So mm-hmm. I think those things correlate to one another. So I, I don't know that in practice they've been drastically better. I think it's more so pieces have found their homes and those pieces are making plays that make them feel better about themselves. There's still moments where the secondary, you know, they're trying to pattern match and trade and hand off guys and it doesn't go swimmingly, but they haven't allowed huge plays out of that in the last couple of games. And they also haven't allowed one bad play to turn into two bad plays, which has been a drastic improvement for them. And that's something they've spoken on too. So th- this is a trend that has kind of continued through the last couple of weeks. And, and I'll bring it back to the secondary here in a second. Uh, but if you go back and look at like the practice reports that, that Chris and I put up last week, uh, there were guys who we were writing about because they were flashing so much. It wasn't just one play. They were consistently doing something well that made you kind of like, yeah, that's, that's a little different. And those guys all showed up at different times on, on Saturday. And that's really cool to see it happening in practice and translating over. Uh, Jordan Young, for example, had his best week of practice where he put together two really solid days uh, that we were able to see. And he gets in there as a reserve in, crunch, or in garbage time, not crunch time, garbage time. And he makes a really nice play on the ball and gets a touchdown. And that was just cool to see, like, hey, this is someone's engaged and hustling and focused in practice, and they get rewarded for it in a game, and it translates over. DJ Williams, for example, 
is someone who I remember Chris looking at me and saying that's the most burst he's shown maybe since he's been here. Definitely since preseason camp when he started to kind of come on a little bit. And then he missed about 10 days or so and hadn't had quite that explosiveness. Uh, read into that how you will. Uh, and he showed it in practice this past week. That was noteworthy. He shows up in the game, breaks a 23-yard run for a touchdown and looks as quick as we've seen him. So those things are happening. It applies to the secondary because, like Chris said, the coaching staff is coaching up that position group more dialed in and intensely than, than I think any other position that, that we that we can tell and that we can see. And specifically, that's Mike Norvell, to me, like switching a lot of his attention where he's kind of going to the wide receivers because he's a former wide receiver. When he's in those one-on-ones, a lot of his time is on those defensive backs and building up confidence, building up technique. There were two examples this past week that stuck with me, both relating to Jarvis Brownlee. First was on Tuesday, great practice, a lot of effort. They were doing 11-on-11 and in a two-minute drill kind of scenario outside. And, uh, and Malik McLean, breaks, another guy who had a really good week of practice and, and, and shined in the game on Saturday. He breaks off a long run where Jordan Tra- – or sorry, a long, a long uh, reception where Jordan Travis puts the ball right over Jarvis Brownlee. They're running like a cover two, puts it over Jarvis Brownlee and right in between him and the safety. Uh, it's just a really good throw and catch. And Malik McLean turns that and breaks it into a long, a long run after the catch. He gets to the end zone. Jarvis Brownlee hustled downfield, pursued it. Again, this is practice kept with it, and stripped the ball loose. Malik McLean recovered it in the end zone for a score, but for Jarvis Brownlee to remain engaged and to hustle like that was good to see. Adam Fuller ran over to Jarvis, kind of gave him a big hug. Jarvis responded, gave him a hug in return. And to me, it was like this, like, I think Jarvis maybe wasn't in the best position initially, but there was a rewarding, like, the effort and, like, ah, if we just do this one little thing correctly, we're good. The next day, Jarvis drops an interception. Mike Norvell was ready to start dropping some expletives, contained himself because it was just, it was a gift that Jarvis dropped. Didn't say anything there, went and kind of calmly coached him up. And then later in practice, Jarvis had an interception. It played out just like how it did against UMass on Saturday. And that's what's cool to see. Can you really coach those easy drops? Like from a DB, like you can't. Not the hand. you're, you're, You're pushing focus. You're, you're not confidence. coaching it. You're yeah. pushing focus. It's a matter of you're going to have that opportunity again. you got to make the play when you get the opportunity again. You can't botch it as you just did. It, so it's not a coach. I mean, there's I think technique. There's fundamental. Get your hands on the so. ball. Secure yeah. the ball. Don't be alligator arms. Those kind of things. Yes, there are some technique and fundamentals that could be coached. But at the end of the day, a coach is driving home the point of focus, focus, focus. It's within what we've taught you, what you've rep, what you've done. Do that correctly and results will come. Mm-hmm. And that builds confidence. And that's what we're seeing three wins in a row. Confidence is being built, which is the first time, you know, that there's been a three game win streak in this program since 2017. Okay. So. We saw on the defensive front, a lot of new guys getting in. Um, <clears throat> we saw some, some guys getting rest. You know, we, we talked about that, how we knew guys like Fabian Lovett and some others were going to get some time on the bench to get rested up for the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um so who are some of the young guys that stood out and also talk about just some of the coaching that we saw going on? Cause I know Odell was getting in on some of the younger guys. <laughs> I'll let, I'll let Chris uh, talk about the Odell coaching. Cause I know that gives him, that gives him the warm and fuzzies when he sees that. Well, we saw him getting after, I think it was Josh Farmer at one point and then TJ Davis. And that one I believe was caught on TV. Um, that, that's Odell. That's how he operates. Farmer and him having those moments. That's pretty standard for what we see in practice. I, I think Farmer is a guy they believe can be pretty good. They're trying to push him. They want to, you know, especially with Dennis Briggs being gone for the remainder of the season, to kind of step up into that role after Malcolm Ray and be a bigger contributor. Contributor With T.J. Davis, I think it was more, uh, hey, you got a taste of it for the first time. You know, I'm going to stay on you because you're not doing things right. You're not doing what we rep in practice, what we do. And that's just Odell's coaching style. So I, I, I didn't take too much of it. I didn't make much of it. Him and Farmer having those kind of back and forths, I feel like we see that on a weekly basis in practice at some point. Because Farmer is getting more reps against higher caliber players, first and second team types. And when he has a good moment, he gets a butt slap. And when he has a bad moment, he gets, you know, kind of torn into because that's coaching, that's teaching. And that's how Odell is going to work with guys. He's going to work them hard. Uh, As far as generally on the defense, I didn't have anybody that like blew me away. That was a new face. It was good to see a lot of guys get burned. Patrick Payton, Hunter Washington, Demory Tate. Those are some that come to mind. The two D tackles we just mentioned are others. Um, I was also interested in who we didn't see because there's a few guys on that side of the ball who 
we've not seen yet this year. Jadarius Green, McKnight, Jayon McCluster, Chumbray Jackson, there are three that come to mind off the top of my head. Offensively, Chubba was a guy of the new appearances that probably had the best day. I was humored by the reaction of David Stickle playing at center. Um, you know, he's a guy that we've consistently mentioned as being the third center when Darius Washington wasn't the emergency third center. But yet when he plays, it's like, uh, where did this guy come from? Pace, Florida. He's um, a, a former a walk-on tight end, by the way, who's been converted into center. So, yeah. So in general, I, yeah, I didn't take too, too much from all the new guys point. I thought it was a very big positive that when the offense did transition to more depth, that they had a great deal of success on those two drives. And the defense didn't look like they were completely and massively confused. And it's not like young guys aren't contributing on this defense. Kevin Knowles, I think we forget sometimes how young that kid is. Mm-hmm. He's been phenomenal as a first and second team player and a slot coverage guy. And, you know, I, I think their hope is to keep breeding more success from that younger group and keep pushing them. But it's important for guys to get those reps because it gives them film. It also gets rid of the whole idle hand syndrome of never playing. I think those are the most important things about them actually seeing the field. And, and as we get into this back half of the season where it's, uh, I think ESPN ranks it as the 15th most difficult schedule uh, remaining. It's not as difficult as maybe we thought it was going to be going into the year, but still it's, it's not an easy one coming up here. This defense specifically had a lot of guys that were amassing a ton of snaps. Uh, Jermaine Johnson and Keir Thomas specifically being the two who are like in the top 20 at their position groups for snaps so far this season, they got, like legitimate rest. Like Jermaine Johnson only had to play 31 snaps compared to him having to go uh, about 70. I think it was against UNC. That's good. You coming off a bye week, then you can basically play half a game. That's great. Keir Thomas was in the 20s somewhere. Fabian Lovett was the second highest graded defensive tackle in the country per PFF. He does it on 17 snaps. So he's pretty well rested, which is again is big. Uh, one guy I want to give a shout out to Jarvis Brownlee, the highest ranked cornerback in the entire country. Again, UMass, but still, um, that's that's good to see. Um, all right. And moving on to the importance of the next five games. We don't want to preview Clemson too much because we're going to do that more so on Thursday. But just talk about the general season outlook. I mean, how? what's the floor? What's the ceiling for Florida State, realistically speaking? Let me ask you guys this with that in mind. What do you think is more likely – one more win this season or three more wins? Three more wins. Three more wins. Because I Did think they're think- certain to get probably at least two. So I don't feel like one is more likely. I think three is a little bit of a reach. I think they have like a – might have been Bill Connolly that put it out like a 32% chance of being bowl eligible, which would be three more wins. I think that's what I saw from him yesterday. So that kind of speaks to the percentages of it all. Mm. So – yeah, I mean, I think we're all like believe that there's at least one win back here. Easy, right? Or maybe not easy, but but relatively like seems seems likely. Correct. Two is probably the sweet spot. Let's talk about the context of trying to get three wins, right? Because that that would be from where you started the season, where you were sitting at 0-4, uh, the belief that we were talking about all offseason that six wins need to be the goal for this team. Um Where's that likely? I mean, I think coming up the next two games here, you have Miami at home that in, in three weeks. That's going to be a huge game for recruiting, which we're going to transition into here in a few minutes here on the podcast. That's going to be huge. I think you're going to have a lot of visitors for that, assuming that'll probably be a night game, hopefully at Doak and you get a good environment. So leading up into that, you have Clemson. At Clemson, you have home versus NC State. NC State, I thought may have been the most talented team or the best team remaining on the schedule, and they just lost to Miami at Miami. Um and didn't look very good. Apparently had a bunch of drops and whatnot. Clemson is, drops. yeah, quite a few. Uh, Clemson is reeling right now. I would have felt, I would have felt a little bit better about this week's game if Clemson had found a way to somehow beat Pitt. Uh, and and but still, Clemson's what four and three right now. This is a program that is spiraling. They have real legitimate issues. Uh, you just got to hope that they don't figure it all out and take it all out on, on you on Saturday. But I think if you win one of these next two coming up, uh, the the chances of winning three total the remaining of the season seems very realistic if you can find a way to go 500 in these next two games and you set up that game against Miami with some sort of meaning and substance and recruits being intrigued trying about being a 500 football team which you didn't think you could do uh, a few weeks ago that's all at play here coming up yeah, and BC is also in that back end and they're not playing particularly good football right now and yeah obviously lost their starting quarterback very early in the season I think that's starting to show as a, a weakness for them as a as more teams get more film on the guy that they're facing um, NC State was pretty 
I mean, neither NC State or Miami really felt like they wanted to win that game. They both <laughs> there was plenty of miscues on both sides down the stretch in that game that gave each team a chance to win it. Um, NC State's capable. Ricky Person, uh, Bam Knight, really good running backs. And that defense can do some things, but they also hurt themselves against Miami. Corey Durden, in particular, I believe, basically gifted Miami about seven points with two big miscues. <clears throat> so, you know, NC State is what it is. Miami, that's um, – are we going to fire Manny game, I think, in some ways? I, I definitely think it kind of has that willy feel to it to some degree of, like, if FSU went out there and embarrassed them, Manny probably doesn't survive the night. Um, and Van Dyke – and he had a great game against NC State, but uh, he's still one of those. I feel like there's a lot to be determined there, and FSU can bother him. The biggest thing with Clemson, I don't get why the spread's 10, personally. Clemson can't score 20 points quite often, so 10 feels like a lot. I understand FSU should not be favored in that game, but I found 10 to be a little, I don't know, big. I, I thought it was going to be 7 to 8 is kind of what I when when I yeah, thought the line was I thought it would be around 7, 7.5. Seven and, yeah. and some of that is that it's at Clemson. Yeah. And some of that is that they probably should be favored. But well, like 10 surprised me. And the thing that you do well on offense, Clemson does well on defense. They are yes. still, even with the injuries. So that's not a great matchup. But yeah, when you say 10 points, but, Clemson hasn't scored more than, what, 21 points I think this it's 20 year? or 21. I, I can't it's remember the exact number. Them in Arizona are the only two in the country. Yeah. I think it's 21. And, and the but under is 47. So what's the math, Chris? So if the under is 40 or the over under is 47 and they're saying 10. So what are they predicting there? I'm going to keep rambling and talking like this as you use your be- big, beautiful brain to do the math. I mean, um, that would be like 28 to 18, basically. The under, you'd hit at 46. So they're saying that Clem- they're – Vegas is based by saying that they think that they, that Vegas that Clemson's going to score more than it has all season against right. Florida State's defense, which, which like is FSU, not surprising. Yeah, all right. If, if you're going to do it, this would be the defense you're going to do it against. No, yeah. don't say that. You know, they're, they're figuring the, it out. DJ's it out. unimpressive vertically. Like, yeah, FSU's defense. I'm not entirely sold that suddenly they're not ever going to give up a big play vertically again. I just I won't be till they do it for like half a season. But DJ's not very good at that. Like. He's much better, you know, under five, short, intermediate. That's much more his sweet spots. He's also a pretty good runner when it comes to working between uh, center and guards. That's kind of his sweet spot for running the ball. But he I mean, hasn't really run the ball a whole lot recently. Right? No, I mean, that's but been he is missing capable. from their offense. Yes, he has a skill set. Why isn't he running? I think is kind of an interesting. Like he's got he's got two hundred thirty six rushing yards this season. He hasn't rushed for more than fifty yards since September twenty fifth. Just saying it's interesting but they just don't offensively really i mean i know they have talent on that side of the ball they recruited great but it it doesn't look good they didn't look good against pitt they didn't look good against syracuse i got to watch both of those games you know looking at breakdowns statistically of stuff with them pff breakdowns of pass completion uh parts of the field pressure not pressured all those fun things play action not play action he just isn't intimidating at this point. I know what he was supposed to be, and he was actually better last year by most of those analyses. Um, did I just say analysis? Yeah, you did. Um, I was gonna, I was I gonna did. let it go. But uh, analyze, analyze, underwhelming. I just was surprised by ten. I did not expect double figures. I expected just above a touchdown. Go ahead. The point is, this team has a chance. FSU has a chance to go to Clemson and do something. Again, rewinding a month ago, who would have thought that? We're going to talk more about it later this week about Florida State's chances to go on the road and beat Clemson. Um, But right now, let's flip it to recruiting. We're done with the team segment. You got it all out, Brendan? I'm going to go get coffee real quick. But once you guys start talking about UCF quarterback commits and whatnot. uh, Well, that's where we're starting. So I'll catch up. All right. Um, Flip it over to recruiting. We've been talking about this on Knowles 24-7 all week. Um, We had the visitor list up. And one of the in, more interesting names that we confirmed was Thomas Castellanos. Um, he's a five foot 11, 190 pound athlete from Ware County High School. And Castellanos was a name that we talked a lot about in the spring. Florida State was very intrigued by him as an offensive playmaker, most likely a running back. Um, he plays quarterback in high school and chose to commit to UCF over FSU, among others, um, mainly because UCF offers him the uh, opportunity to go in and play quarterback. But Thomas Castellanos, um, his, I guess there's been some contact between FSU and him throughout the, the season. And last week, 
when FSU was on the bye, we confirmed that Kenny Dillingham was at his game. Um, a visit from FSU was reciprocated from a visit by Castellanos over the weekend. Um, Chris, what do you take away from this? What's your thoughts, feelings on this name coming back around? He also came to FSU's game against Louisville a little earlier this year. He was there. He mentioned the Zach when Zach spoke to him on, I don't know if it was Friday evening or Saturday morning, that an official for FSU Miami on November 13th is probably in play. I think this is a Jordan Travis effect in play here. It, it, Castellanos, when I saw him at uh, MVP camp back in February or March, I forget the exact month, was very, very good, capable passer, exquisite athlete. And talking to people that coach him, they absolutely love the kid, and that's pretty normal for a coach to talk of a kid, but you can tell when they're just talking up a kid to try to get him ranked higher and talking up a kid because they think he's legitimately like a dude and he's a dude. More interesting was talking to coaches who have faced him and they're all like, he's awesome. He's Billy Badass on the football field when you're facing him. He does things. He makes things happen. I think this is a matter of looking at a guy who is a potential major offensive playmaker. And FSU needs guys who can put points on the board. I mean, the offense this year has proven to FSU that Jordan Travis is essential because of his ability to create points, more so with his legs and his arm. But what he does also opens things up for other people to have success. I think Castellanos very much falls into that same category, regardless of what position he plays. You can take him as a quarterback if that's what you got to take him as to get him, and that's what he wants to play. If it doesn't work out long-term, he's a guy that definitely has the potential to move to another skill position on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, and we know FSU has room for skill guys. Um, I don't know if they necessarily – want to take a second QB. Uh, I don't think that's what we would categorize Castellanos as at this point, if he were to commit to FSU, but um, he is a name that's back on the radar worth talking about worth, uh, you know, we'll see what happens from here. We got about another month until in-home visits start, maybe five weeks. Um, And if Castellanos is a guy that Kenny Dillingham is going to see once a week when he's allowed to during in-home visit months, then, uh, then we'll we'll know exactly where he stands on the board. The the fact Another, that he's real quick, the fact that he's yeah, been to, he's been to FSU twice in the last three or four weeks, and then he's going again in two weeks. So it'll be three times in six weeks or so. Uh is that would we say FSU's trending for him at this point? Like the fact that he's coming to FSU as often as he is to UCF? Sure. I I feel like FSU's the other school in the relationship. Hmm. Do we want to talk about someone else who keeps going to other schools over and over that's close by to them and whether he's trending there or not? Oh, I'm just saying, if we're going to talk about it one way, we're not going to talk about it the other. Yeah, we will. I have it on the list. But first, you should I put want this to... on the message board so we can all downvote you. Uh, downvotes don't count to my overall score anymore. Bring it! Uh, there was another interesting name on campus, three-star wide receiver Chris Bell from Mississippi. Um, he's a name that you know, FSU has been in contact with, does not have an offer. Uh, he came in, I'm not sure if he came alone or what, but it was an unofficial visit. And um, we haven't caught up with Chris Bell yet, but I did some, some talking. He left without an offer and I do not, it doesn't sound like he's going to get an offer. I don't know if Florida State is looking beyond um, really Kevin Coleman at the wide receiver position right now. Um, anything to add on Chris Bell? Uh, he's a former Southern Miss commitment, backed off that recently. Mississippi State's probably the school that's trending there and probably has a great chance of locking him up, and it could actually be pretty soon. Another name, uh, much anticipated visit from a prospect that does not have an offer, and that's Valdosta offensive lineman Jacarius Peak. Peak arrived on campus on Saturday for his unofficial visit, um, and I don't really know that's about it. He didn't get offered. He left. Uh, there's not really much more to say. It's clear at this point, Chris, that of the new names on the board, you have Matthew McCoy, who's an in-state prospect, and then you have Jacarius Peak, who's a South Georgia prospect. Florida State offered Matthew McCoy about two and a half, three weeks ago now, when he and visited. they still have not offered Jacarius Peak. So that tells me that they value McCoy more than they value Peak. And at this point, with him coming on campus, I. I'm not sure if he's going to get an offer. What do you think? I am. Have they gone to see him in person? Do we know? Mm, I know that Atkins went to see McCoy. Yeah, I know Atkins went to see McCoy, but that was after the offer to McCoy was extended. 
I almost wonder if Atkins or somebody else on staff wants to see Peak in person before pulling play in person yeah. before pulling the trigger. Could because be. I know there's people at FSU who want to offer him, who think he is worthy of an offer and would fill a need that they have, especially with the potential of a Tay Woody backing off, losing your second offensive line commitment. Um, so I, I'm interested. I don't think that relationship's over. I don't think that story's come to an end. I, I am interested. I was surprised he departed Saturday without an offer. That causes pause, obviously. Now we'll get to the point of the conversation that Brendan wants to enter. Um, Travis Hunter was back in Athens, Georgia this weekend buying some shoes at a, at a, at a shoe store and it made waves on the message board and apparently has impacted Brendan Sinone's mental health. Chris, <laughs> where do you stand on Travis Hunter and, and his uh, most recent shopping spree? It's real important that he shows up at FSU for the Miami game is where I stand on that. Same place I stood before the shopping spree or the the shoe shopping or whatever it was. All right. Um, We'll keep you updated on the latest Travis Hunter. Uh, We don't know if he's going to Publix this afternoon, but I'm sure if he does, Brendan will let you know the location. And if it's Brendan's at like a 9.875. No, I'm not. That honestly did nothing for me that he went there. It's just funny that – some people on this podcast, I'm looking at the top left corner of the screen, are putting us at a 0.5 of of not being afraid to it. But then we'll say that FSU is trending for Thomas Castellanos. Potentially. What happened this weekend that would make me what like go, what happened? Go ahead, go to Knowles 24. No, go to 24/7 Sports. It's working now. All right, go to Travis Hunter's profile and look at the timeline for him and tell me what you're seeing there. You're the one who always says, follow the visits. No, I just asked you what happened this weekend. Like what would I do? Oh, I just, concerned? when I go shopping for shoes, I just always go shopping 45 minutes away from my house. Yeah. But you also buy like Keds and Pumas. Weren't they like custom shoes? Like a dude works on them and does something. Oh, so he's got a dude in, in Athens who's making custom shoes for him. Imagine a guy in a college town doing custom shoes. That that's nobody's ever thought of that business opportunity. And also the custom shoe place is 45 minutes away. I live in like a city and I don't know even I'd probably have to drive 45. I'd probably have to go to Orlando or something for some custom. Josh, I, did drive, I did drive to St. Pete to get this butt pad here. At what point of the uh, Chris knee riding in the passenger seat with Brendan Sinone trip to Clemson? Do I just turn and punch him? Do you think, I think we you make just it to Georgia or South Carolina? And tell him to tuck and roll at some point. <laughs> Push him out. out. I do want to be clear boot. though on this. I, I not that anyone really cares of my opinion on this. I think Travis Hunter sticks with FSU. Now, if you were going to start giving me odds, however, and start giving me like two to one, three to one betting odds, I would be all ears for that. So that's what I'm saying. I think the FSU keeps them still, but to dismiss it as it means almost absolutely nothing that he keeps popping up in Georgia's radar, I think is a disservice to, to covering and recruiting the way we cover it, which is honest and following trends. That's all I'm all right. saying. There you have it, folks. Uh, Chris, <laughs> get in. There are some hoops official visitors on campus this weekend. Who was there? Were they important? Are they coming to FSU? They had three officials, one unofficial. I'll just stick to the officials. Jeremiah Bembry, a six foot six uh, guard, left hander. Kid loves playing defense. He's at a school in Pennsylvania in Allentown currently. He's supposed to commit today around 12 30 p.m., 12 25 p.m., sometime just afternoon. I expect it to be FSU. Chandler Jackson, four star highest ranked of the bunch that came in this weekend, according to 24 7 rankings. He is from Memphis, Tennessee. He's been a Stan Jones target for a while. They view the company views him as a combo guard. He views himself more as a point guard. Both of these young men I've talked about so far are point guards for FSU. It's a position they want to bulk up, add people behind Worley for the future. Um, Jackson's a talented kid. Memphis, Tennessee, definitely in it. Kansas V Tech to a lesser degree are in it, but I think it's going to be those two in-state schools for him: Memphis and Tennessee, and then Florida State. He intends to decide by the early signing period, which is mid-November. November 11th to the 17th, I believe, this year, right around that ballpark. It's Wednesday to Wednesday in the middle of November. And then uh, the third man was a big seven-foot French-Moroccan, Ala Botembo, I think is how you pronounce it. He is a complete off-the-radar kid, a Leonard Hamilton special, uh, played with France coming up in the you know U18, U17, U20, that kind of stuff. He's played some overseas to my knowledge, he's never really been in the U.S. for an extended period of time. He was here at one point during the summer doing a little bit of stuff. 
Uh, I've not caught up with him. I did catch up with Bembry and Jackson, both enjoyed the visits. I expect Bembry to commit to FSU today. Jackson, I think they got a real legit shot with, but that's a little bit more to be determined between now and then. With the big man, as long as everything checks out in the sense of be able to get him in, compliance, all of that stuff where there's no issue, no hiccups, I, I think there's a very good chance he ends up in FSU's class as well. And he's the dude who was rocking the sweatshirt around the waist, which I thought was pretty cool. I point him out to Brendan from the press box. He's in the corner of the end zone near the student section where all the recruits are gathered to see how tall he is because he's very, very lanky, very thin, very tall. Um, and the only thing that Brendan takes away from that is the way the man's wearing a sweater around his waist. He relates. All right. That's it for recruiting. Um, we were going to get out of here, but I, I was thinking about something while we Uh-oh. were on another topic. And I was, you know, um, Brendan, first of all, when you reported the Mackenzie Milton to FSU story, you did write in your story that he had at least one more year of eligibility. Yes. Remember? So there was a reason why we we actually believed there was two. Yeah, right? I believe I believe he could get because of the COVID year and then the injury registry. I believe the math would work out there. If he applied for it, he could get another year. But I was also told by people close to him that that was um that he going into the season wasn't expecting that. But obviously things change, I guess. Right. So let's, this is just a hypothetical. But I'm just saying, if um you were Mackenzie Milton and you you had another year of eligibility remaining, would you maybe take that year? regardless just for the nil money for the opportunity to bring in some more revenue because you're not going pro you're going to become a ga what do gas make 20 to forty thousand? Yeah. like is there if, stipend it's somewhere they, they, they have to find ways to pay those guys under the table sometimes right. the, yeah so i'm being i'm being serious how much does maybe one more year of nil money play into extending your career if you're Mackenzie Milton if I'm Mackenzie Milton and let's say again this is all hypothetical um mm-hmm. I would go to Athens to buy my shoes first of all oh Jesus let it Why go so I, would sweat, I would wear a sweatshirt around my waist no so if I were Mackenzie Milton if we're talking about NIL where's the most valuable situation for him to land in where his where his name likeness and image would would have the, the most value it'd be F-A-U. Orlando oh. no <laughs> 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 McKenzie is almost like 40 years old now so he might go hang out at the um, right. uh, blue oh God, martini. the blue martini yes with Lane Kiffin down there no 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 uh, I mean listen McKenzie's gonna have options I think he's gonna have good options as a coach as a GA whatever he does of uh, moving forward here because he has shown to be smart and we diligent know he, and well but I'm just saying is the opportunity no. to make a little NIL money worth you know, staying in school for another year. So you could, yeah, sure. But the most value then would be UCF. I don't know if he would bounce back to UCF, but like be a player coach if they have the scholarship. Like that's where he would get the most NIL juice would be people devote UCF fans who love what he did in 17 and in 18 uh, would probably be the highest potential. There could be, a if he does say that were to come back, you could keep him on as a, like a, a coach player, which is kind of what he's turning into now to a certain extent. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's options for him, but that's an interesting point, Josh. I haven't thought it's of it. I mean, yeah, it's something to think about because you know he doesn't have a pro career sitting in front of him. So, and then if you think about coaching, you got you know two years at least of being a GA, which brings in zero revenue. Uh, it's just it's it's something to think about now with uh with guys in the upper like think about Derek King. Mm-hmm. If you're Derek King, do you go pro to be an undrafted free agent because now's your time? Or do you stay at Miami and rack in the NIL money for another year? Well, part of that too, and this is going to be a conversation I think is a lot of coaches are going to have to have with a lot of players, and most of them not going to have the profile of McKenzie Milton. With the extra year that, that COVID has has granted everyone, there's going to be this weird scholarship cluster that the NCAA is kind of adjusting for. Uh, but there may be a lot of kids who are told, hey, you might be better off going elsewhere. And I'm not saying what's going to happen with me. I just don't know if like Mackenzie Milton or Dear King types will be told. Right, right. But that's the scholarship crunch that's going to be coming up here that that Mackenzie Milton becomes part of that conversation if he were to come back for another year. Everyone Mm -hmm. does, but he becomes part of that. That's all I'm saying is part of the equation as well. Sole thing I'll add is that FSU loves having Milton here. Mm -hmm. Um, Kenny Dillingham regularly references how much they like having him in the quarterback room because of his leadership. He's helped Jordan Travis immensely. He's not the only one. Travis's family's a huge supporter of him. Coach Dillingham is, as is Coach Norvell. 
But I think Mackenzie Milton's been a real big positive for Jordan Travis of a guy that when the going gets tough, he can lean on. And it's helped mm-hmm. him improve in that regard of handling that. Because that's something that I think Jordan would admit has been a difficult task for him at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing with Milton is I think Milton enjoys being a guy that's a giver. He he, yes. he wants to compete. I think he would love to play. I'm not diminishing any of that. But the guy also very much likes sharing experience, sharing thoughts, sharing this is how you do this. This is what we saw. And being a guy who's just kind of present. And that's not only with quarterbacks. You see that in practice when he goes up to a receiver after some that he's not involved with and they have a conversation. Mm-hmm. He's not curt or rushed with it. It's very much in flow of I've seen this a hundred times in six years of being in the college game. He, he very easily can make that transition to coaching if he wants to. There is no doubt in watching him in practices that that's a natural transition if he intends to make it. And I mentioned this uh, and on the instant. I wrote about it as well on Saturday. Uh, the way he handled Chubba Purdy before Chubba went into the game for the first time this season was really cool. McKenzie went over, gave him a slap on the butt, and basically gave him a a boy, go and have fun kind of deal. Like He he has the quarterback room specifically the last couple of weeks. I found my t- myself gravitating that and pre- gravitating towards that room in practice and watching those guys all work together in individual drills, the way Kenny Dillingham interacts with them, the way they interact with each other. They're loose. They're having fun. Uh, Mackenzie Milton, I feel like, is a big source of that confidence that's building in that room. Even though he's not playing on Saturdays, uh, he's having a profound impact, like Chris said. Uh, one other thing to note is that Alex Alessemi, I can't. He was a walk on here a couple of years ago. He is now a GA sort of like, so it has happened. He was a quarterback who has kind of moved while still being a student, uh, gone from a quarterback on the roster to being a coach basically. So FSU is open to, to doing that. I think it's worth yeah, noting yeah. as well. Going yeah, into definitely. this year, we regularly talked about how to run a back room was the most healthy room in the sense of camaraderie and getting along. And Jay Sean Corbin's a huge piece of that. Melton's had that same effect on the quarterback room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No doubt. All right. I think that's it for the pod this week. Um, sorry to distract at the end there, but I thought it was no. a, a good conversation. Good. Um, before we get out of here, though, we want to say congrats to our boy, Zach Blostein, for signing a long-term deal with Knowles 24-7. Um, I know a, a lot of you view Zach as the intern, but he has been a contractor for like a year. Um, but this is significant. It is more money. It's more security and it's well-deserved. So Very well congrats deserved. to Zach for that. He's about to be the richest man on, on Florida State's campus. You should go Let's get some go. shoes. Yeah, maybe he can ride to Athens with uh, Travis. And just make sure you guys, it's not paid. Hey, no. All right. We will be back on Thursday. Thank you for listening. For drag queens to save the world. world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.